Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Psycho Cinematic. Today, we'll be covering the movie One Bedroom, written and directed by David Marmer. And as always, spoilers ahead. So first, I got to say, this movie, I don't think is very popular, but I think it definitely should be. It gives off a similar energy to me and a similar story type as Fresh, and I think Fresh did pretty well. So I highly recommend you checking out this film. It's apparently going to be on Netflix until December 31st, 2022. And then who knows where it's going to be after that, but I'm sure you can stream it somewhere. So the first thing that I noted is that the apartment complex that Sarah goes to look at, the place where this whole story unfolds, is called Asilo del Mar, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, which from Spanish to English translates Asylum of the Sea. A little bit of a red flag there, asylum. Uh, normally asylum isn't a great thing. You know, it's where people go. It's like a loon loony bin, you know, a bunch of crazy people living together or you're seeking asylum because you're fleeing a country or, you know, who knows? So definitely not a good sign, but asylum of the sea, I was like, I feel like there's gotta be some more meaning to that, not just that they're in LA and it's close to the ocean. And I think it's because the person who founded this whole cult, his name is Charles. So Charles starts with the C. I know it's a different C, but Asylum of the Sea, I think that's what it is. This whole movie consistently has symbolism for Jesus and Christianity. And, you know, it just continues to allude to that stuff. And the first thing that I connected was, you know, with the cat, Giles or Giles. I can't remember how they pronounce the cat's name. The cat was paying for the sins of the father. And I'm sure you've heard that phrase before, but you know, basically just paying for what your parents did. And that's talked about a little bit in the Bible, but not necessarily like that. But then I was thinking Jesus dies for our sins to pay the debt eternally, but she hasn't been converted into their way of life. So she's going to pay for her sin, her rule break of sneaking in the cat by having her cat thrown in the oven. So when she's initially sneaking her cat into the apartment, I wrote down that there is no way ever that I could do that with my own cat because I have the noisiest cat, I think, in existence. And every time we try and take her out of the house, you know, whether it's for someone to watch her while we're going on a trip or when we moved, she has a full-blown meltdown and is very vocal about it. So yeah, I would have gotten probably off right in the beginning. They're like, oh, and your cat's so fat, we can't even fit her in the oven. So this is the second time that I'm watching this movie. And when I was talking to my family about it before I went to watch it again, my brother did have an interesting comment he, because I, I was explaining how the title is, you know, so they can go and find it on Netflix, 1BR. And he said, shouldn't it be called 1BD? Because when you look at home listings, it's BD for bedroom and BA for bathroom. And I can only assume that it's the same thing with apartments. I've never actually looked for an apartment before, just houses. Now we see Lester for the first time reading the book, The Power of the Community, which is effectively their Bible, another tie to Christianity or just religion in general. During one of Sarah's first nights in her apartment, she looks up at the smoke detector and it's foreshadowing not only one thing, but two things. One, that she is being surveilled, there's a camera inside that smoke detector that is watching her. And then also that smoke detector is gonna be going off in a couple days when they decide to roast her cat like a Thanksgiving day feast. And unfortunately when her cat is put in the oven, I couldn't help but think, 
Q Cousinetti. If that cat had nine lives, she just spent them all. <laughs> and then also it smells like fried pussycat. That poor cat. I also noted that when Sarah is being tied up on the chair when she's first being attacked by Brian, she makes a pretty good attempt to get out of there. I was very impressed. She, you know, she fell over. I think she knocked him over. She got out of the room, but of course she was too trusting of the people living there because why would you think that they're all in on this thing? But I love the writing here when she says, why is no one helping me? And I'm like, we are helping you. That's the creepy thing about cults is that they're probably doing it because they genuinely believe in it. So later when Sarah wakes up in the room where they're going to be putting her in the stress position with her hands up against the wall and she has to lean pretty far back and it's supposed to be uncomfortable, I immediately drew this connection. It is analogous to Too Hot to Handle. Now hear me out. And real quick, if you don't know what Too Hot to Handle is, it's this really dumb dating show on Netflix. It's actually really funny because they make fun of themselves, but basically a bunch of hot people go onto this island thinking they're about to go on this giant sexcapade and they're just gonna have a great time only to find out that there's prize money involved and they're not allowed to have sex at all. For Sarah, we got the stress position. For Too Hot to Handle, that stress position is not being able to have sex. And then when the lights go off, she is allowed to rest and on Too Hot to Handle, when the green light goes off on your watch, you're allowed to have sex. Not to mention, there are punishments when you don't listen to Jerry's, the, the head of this cult, his rules, his methods, or Lana's rules and methods. And there's definitely some contestants on Too Hot to Handle that would probably kill to be in that stress position leaning up against the wall. <laughs> when I was looking up this movie to try and see if there were any fun facts on IMDb, I came across someone making the argument that she's not actually being brainwashed while she's down there because it's happening too quick and that's not technically brainwashing, but I mean, it technically is when you look up the definition of brainwashing. She's being forced and abused to take on this new mindset. Not only that, but there's this loud song that continues to play. They're strobing her out. They're basically breaking her like a wild horse. Sarah eventually breaks that stress position and they come in to fix this problem by nailing her hands to the wall. And once again, here's some Jesus symbolism. She too is getting her hands nailed, but there's got to be something more. But what is it? And then I came to the conclusion that they are metaphorically killing her so that she can be born again. So Sarah eventually gets released from that room to be assimilated into their community. And she's going through all these creepy lie detector interviews with very personal information that is being asked about her. And when she's being shown the ropes of everything, she sees that Jerry lets one of the community members, you know, out into the world of LA. And he says, we can't expect to change the world if we're not going out into the world. Once again, Christianity going out there and sharing the gospel. Sarah starts to receive more duties from the community. So now she's working in the surveillance room where she notices that they too are being surveilled. The first indication that this whole cult goes beyond this apartment complex. And then I totally forgot from the first time that I'd watched it that they brand you behind the ear. And then when she later goes to kill Jerry, she sees that he too has a brand behind his ear. So that's the second indicator that the cult is bigger than this. And after Sarah kills Jerry, she expects everyone to just snap out of it. But of course they don't. I mean, I guess besides Lester, because they assure her it doesn't matter who is in charge. This community is self-sustaining. 
Like we basically, they've all been brainwashed so hard and they're probably so afraid because of their four pillars or whatever uh, they had in this movie that they are going to be reamed by their community members because they are always watching and they are going to hold you accountable. So Lester ends up saving the day by holding off some of the community members long enough for her to escape out the locked door before he kills himself. Ray Lester, the poor misunderstood man who also seems like he has an allusion to the Bible with his eye, you know, an eye for an eye. He tried to get out and they took his eye. And now we get to the phenomenal ending. I love when movies end like this. I'm getting chills right now just thinking about it. And it reminds me a lot of The Invitation from 2015, that movie when the cult starts to rise up and then look over at the Hollywood Hills and they see all the same red lanterns going off because all these cult members are doing the exact same thing, killing their whole dinner party and whatnot. Well, that happens here when she moves on to the next apartment and then sees that it too is ran by the same company that ran the last one that she was at. And then you see all the red sirens going off and she just takes that second to basically just laugh at the situation, probably a coping mechanism like, oh my God can't believe this, but I love that she decides to choose to run and continue to fight for her survival. She seems to embody what her friend Lisa said earlier in the movie when she was talking to her, like, I just don't get how you can, you know, basically stand up for yourself. And Lisa replies, you just need to sack up and do whatever it takes to make it. And that's exactly what she's doing. And I'm glad that they showed that too, because they could have just left it at all the lights going off and then we don't even know if she continues or they could have had someone run up on her and just completely defeat all that hope that you had for her getting out because there's a, there's a mere scintilla possibility that she'll get out but probably not definitely have a better chance though probably got to run like a half mile i would assume what's crazy about this movie though is when you think about a locked apartment complex it seems like this is pretty doable. Like this could actually happen. I mean, obviously cults happen crazier than this happen. You know, like this idea is not even that wild that it's just like, oh, we're just a community and whatnot. I mean, there are cults out there that they easily get to the point where it's like, yeah, you got to do all this, but I fuck your wife and your wife and your wife. I don't fuck with apartments, man. All right. Now for the joke, moral of the story. The reason that LA's homeless population is so high is because all the apartments are ran by cults and it's pretty hard to find a decent candidate to come and live in your apartment when you're in the self-absorbed capital of the world. All right, and now for my review versus Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes, the critics gave it 88% and the audience gave it 52%. And where I stand, I'm an 8.5 out of 10, so an 85%. I thought this movie was really good. I honestly don't know why someone wouldn't enjoy it because it keeps you on the edge of your seat the entire time. It's dark, it's a thrill ride. And then that ending, I mean, come on, that ending, fuck. Anyways, that's all I have for you guys today on the movie 1BR. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you did, leave me a thumbs up, comment what you thought down below, and then don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, and I'll see you in the next one.